Thank you so much for having me this morning. It's wonderful to be here. I've uh, really enjoyed getting to know Pete at the pastor's training course, as I'm sure you all know. He's a very kind and parental person, so it's been a joy for me to get to know him. And uh, like, he's not here, but likewise Rob as well. If um, we're chatting about the essays and I roughly am saying the same thing as him, then I know I must be, I must be on the right track. And one thing about me is I get fits of the giggles quite easily, and Pete and Rob have a way of bringing that out of me very easily. So it's, uh, it's been wonderful to get to know them, and so to come and see their church that I know they love very much is a, a real blessing for me. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs, and we're going to be looking at chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. If you're using the church Bibles, that's on page 533. So I'll just give everyone a second to turn that up, and then I'll read that for us. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will love you more. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat in the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to help us as we open up this chapter together. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity now to uh, gather as your chosen people and to study the book of Proverbs that you have given to us. Help us now to put aside whatever concerns the week might have brought and give ourselves solely to Proverbs chapter 9. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last year was an historic year for the United Kingdom because it was the year that we crowned our nation's new king, King Charles III, our first king in many decades. But sadly, King Charles III has made it clear that he does not believe the Bible 
has any more wisdom to offer the world than any other religious book. Well, friends, this morning we're going to be looking at the writings of a very different king, King Solomon. Solomon was the king over the whole of Israel, and he was the author of this book, the book of Proverbs. Now, unlike King Charles III, God himself regarded Solomon to be the wisest man in the whole world. In 1 Kings 4.20, the author writes this about Solomon. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. And Proverbs was written by Solomon primarily to one specific reader, namely his own son. You see, Solomon's son is getting ready to take over his father's position as king. And so to prepare his son for that incredible role up ahead of him, Solomon wrote this book so that his son could learn it and have a wise time as king. So that his son could be prepared for that challenging role. Now the book of Proverbs is mostly well known for all of the kind of short, pithy sayings recorded throughout the book. To give you some examples, pride comes before a disaster, but humility comes before respect. The Lord detests lying lips, but delights in men who are truthful. All a person's ways seems pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. But this morning, friends, we're not going to be looking so much at these short, pithy sayings in the book, but we're going to be looking at the much lesser known part of the book, the introduction. And specifically, we're going to be looking at the end of the introduction, chapter 9. You see, for the first nine chapters of the book, King Solomon writes about these two fictional characters that he's created, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And throughout the introduction, he compares and contrasts these two very different women. Now, our chapter today continues with this contrast made between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Now, up to this point in the introduction, Solomon has been praising Wisdom by exalting her as a wonderful woman. In contrast to Lady Folly, a woman to be avoided. And Solomon does this because he wants his son to live according to the wisdom proverbs themselves, recorded in chapter 10 and onwards. He wants his son to embrace wisdom, to embrace lady wisdom. So therefore, to live out the wisdom found in the book of Proverbs is to embrace lady wisdom And to reject that wisdom is to embrace Lady Folly. And so now we have here in chapter 9 reached the climax of Solomon's appeal. Solomon's final plea to his son takes the form of a contrast made between two opposing banquets. Lady Wisdom's banquet and Lady Folly's banquet. And you might have noticed that sandwiched in between these two banquets, a distinction is made between the scoffer 
the person who will attend Lady Folly's banquet, and the wise, the person who will attend Lady Wisdom's banquet. So friends, this morning we're going to look at Solomon's final plea to his son and what implications it has for our lives today under three headings. The first of which is Lady Wisdom's Banquet, verses 1 to 6. Lady Folly's Banquet, verses 13 to 18. And then the Banquet Guests, and that's our little sandwiched passage in the middle there, verses 7 to 12. So let's take our first heading, Lady Wisdom's Banquet, verses 1 to 6. Now friends, the first thing to notice here is the amazing high quality of what wisdom has prepared for her dinner guests. Look with me at verse 1. Solomon says that wisdom has gone to the trouble of actually building her own house that her guests can enjoy the meal in. And their house is so large that it needs seven pillars just to hold it up. It's big enough so that anyone who wishes to come to her banquet is able to come and enjoy the meal. And just look at what's on the menu for her guests. Verse 2 says that she has prepared her finest meats for her guests. She has slaughtered her own beasts. She has taken her prized pigs, sheep and cows and killed them so that she can serve amazing, high-quality meat to her hungry dinner guests. And in the middle of verse 2 there, it says that she has mixed her own wine. Now, I've never tried winemaking personally, but I've been told that it's a very time-consuming task that takes a lot of effort. But Lady Wisdom, she's made that effort for those attending her meal. And not only is her building erected and her food and drink prepared, but she's also set out her table for her guests at the end of verse 2 there to enjoy the meal that she's prepared for them. Now we must ask ourselves what Solomon is doing with these images of food and wine and so on. Whenever we come to any part of the Bible, we need to ask why the author has said these things. And we can see here that Solomon is conveying to his son the immense value of the wisdom contained in the book of Proverbs and in the rest of the Bible. The food and wine and so on represent the amazing value of the Proverbs themselves cited in the preceding chapters and beyond into the rest of Scripture. And so as part of his final plea to his son to live according to biblical wisdom, Solomon illustrates its value with these amazing images of food and drink. And not only is wisdom of great value, but wisdom is open to his son to live by because it's open to anybody to live by. We've already said that Lady Wisdom has built her house large enough so that anybody can come and enjoy her meal. But to emphasize the point there in verse 3, look with me there. We read that Wisdom has sent out her young women 
to invite everybody to enjoy her banquet. In verse 3, they go into the highest places of town to call out so that everybody, regardless of their background, their education, or anything else, can know that they are invited to enjoy genuine biblical wisdom. So in verse 4, these young female messengers cry out, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says. As one writer points out, the word simple used here, those lacking sense, it doesn't refer exclusively to stupid people, but it refers to everyone who is not yet perfectly wise, which of course is everybody, because none of us are perfectly wise, are we? Not even Pete Dixon. And this ought to be of tremendous encouragement for us here this morning, because it means that genuine biblical wisdom is open to everybody to live by. It doesn't matter if you had a particularly bad time with education growing up, and so perhaps you think, oh gosh, the Bible's a really difficult book, so I'm never going to get the wisdom that's in there. It doesn't matter if you're perhaps someone who became a Christian at a later stage in life, and so you, perhaps you think it's a bit too late for you to enjoy genuine biblical wisdom. Because friends, as we can see from this passage, Lady Wisdom invites everybody to enjoy her meal. There is no discrimination here. Everybody here is invited. So Solomon writes these verses here because he wants to say in the climax of his plea to his son, my boy, the wisdom that I have written for you in this book and the wisdom to be found in the rest of the Bible is only of the finest quality. And you can and should learn to live by it. And that has clear implications for our lives here today, doesn't it? See, we too have access to the wisdom found in the book of Proverbs and in the rest of the Bible. God has given us this book so that we too can learn to live out the Proverbs that Solomon has given to his son and live out the rest of the wisdom found in the Bible. If we all did that, then we would all live much wiser lives, wouldn't we? And in all of the different areas of life that Solomon covers in the book, like sexuality, money, relationships, conflict, and so on, wouldn't we? Or as Solomon himself puts it in verse 6, we would leave our simple ways. This means our own sinful patterns that are counterproductive to wisdom. And we would live. We would live a wise life which of course is the only kind of life really worth having. We would have life. And if that isn't enough incentive for us to go away after this morning and read the book of Proverbs, to go away and study the rest of the Bible, then maybe this will be. You see, Solomon strengthens his plea to his son by contrasting the wise life with the foolish life. 
And he does this by contrasting Lady Wisdom's banquet with Lady Folly's banquet in verses 13 to 18. See, Solomon's son and we here today can only live a wise life or a foolish life. We here this morning can only attend one of these two banquets. However, there is not a third option for us to go to some kind of middle ground or simply not to attend either meal. We here this morning must all choose which kind of life we are going to live. Are we going to live a wise life or a foolish life? So let's look at our second heading, Lady Folly's Banquet in verses 13 to 18. Now the first thing to note here is what a ghastly host this banquet has. Verse 13 says that she is loud and seductive. But despite all the noise she makes and all the fuss that she causes, verse 13 says that she knows nothing. And just look at how lazy she is. Lady Wisdom was a woman of action, proactively doing all that she could to make sure that her guests had everything they needed. And here is folly in verses 14 and 15. Just sitting lazily, shouting at those who walk by to come and join her, making a public fool of herself. Lady Folly clearly does not care much for her guests, does she? She doesn't have their interests in mind at all. Some of you might be going to someone's house for lunch after the service today. How would you feel about the meal you were going to get if you peeked in the kitchen door to find your lunch was being made by someone like this? You wouldn't be very confident that it was going to be good for you, would you? And so Solomon wants to say that whilst the wisdom contained in the book of Proverbs and the rest of the Bible is good for his son, the only alternative to them, the foolish life that doesn't make any room for biblical wisdom, is harmful for him. It's destructive. And friends, the concerning part is that just as we said encouragingly that wisdom was open to anyone to learn and live by, friends, foolishness too is open to anyone to learn and live by. In verses 14 to 15, we see that folly makes the exact same invitation as wisdom, word for word the same. Lady Folly also communicates her invitation at the highest places of town so that everyone can know that they are all invited to join her banquet as well. And so just like Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly cries out, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says. Solomon's son and we here today are all invited to attend the foolish banquet or the wise banquet. Now you might ask at this point, why in the world would Solomon's son, or anybody else for that matter, not attend wisdom's banquet? If biblical wisdom is as wonderful as Solomon seems to think it is, and if the only alternative to them is the foolish life that is as ghastly as Solomon wants to make it out to us, 
But surely this is a no-brainer. Why did Solomon have to go to the effort of writing chapter 9 and then giving it to his son to plead with him to attend Lady Wisdom's meal if the choice just seems so obvious? And friends, the answer is in verses 17 and 18. Look with me there. Folly offers stolen water and bread eaten in secret. And she promises that it is sweet and pleasant. Friends, the point is that the foolish things that wisdom would tell us not to do they usually do offer us a bit of temporary pleasure. The foolish things of this world do offer us a moment of enjoyment, don't they? They offer us things that claim to be sweet and pleasant. For example, take the idea of sexual sin. Lady Folly would have us enjoy that, and Lady Wisdom would tell us not to have that. But sexual sin does offer us something that promises to be sweet and pleasant. It promises something that does entice us. But what Lady Folly does not tell us is that sexual sin, along with all the other foolish things of this world, the pleasure in them usually only lasts for a brief moment. At the end, you're usually left thinking, was that it? And worse still, look at verse 18 with me. Whilst we said that wisdom's banquet offers us life, folly's banquet and the things that she offers us results in death or shield or hell. So now Solomon is pleading with his son to live according to genuine biblical wisdom so that he can have life and avoid death. And so we too here this morning must embrace King Solomon's plea. We must embrace a life of genuine biblical wisdom. Now we've already said that we will all attend one of these two banquets. This is because we will choose to either live a life of biblical wisdom or to reject it. And so, friends, Solomon gives his son details about the kinds of people who will live a wise life and who will live a foolish life. These are the banquet guests, which is our third and final heading this morning. And so now we're going to look at that little sandwiched passage in the middle, verses 7 to 12. Now, I don't know if you do this at Edinburgh North, but at the Tron Church, we love points that all start with the same letter. So I'm convinced that we can summarize this little sandwiched passage using three words that each begin with the letter R. The first word is rebuke. Solomon gives us two alternative responses to the invitations to the opposing banquets. And in verses 7 to 9, we can see the invitation to wisdom's dinner takes the form of a rebuke. You see, rebuke or correction is what genuine biblical wisdom does. It points out to us the sinful things that we do, 
the foolish things that we do, and it tells us what we should be doing instead. And so in this way, the Bible's reader is invited to lead a wiser life. And we can see in verse 7, the scoffer. That's someone who's decided in his heart that he doesn't want to leave his foolish ways behind. He will respond to wisdom's invitation, to wisdom's rebuke, by rejecting it. The scoffer will attend Folly's banquet instead. In fact, in verse 7, it tells us that he will even abuse the carrier of wisdom's invitation and hate the messenger in verse 8. But a wise person in verse 9, that's someone who is open to being taught by genuine biblical wisdom, he will become wiser still. He will respond to wisdom's invitation with a yes and enjoy the meal. You see, a wise person becomes wiser still when he accepts honest rebuke. And a scoffer gives abuse when he is rebuked. So one of the questions we might want to ask ourselves this morning is, which one are we? What sort of person are we? When someone corrects you over an issue in your life, how do you react? Do you refuse it? Do you get hostile? Do you decline the invitation to Wisdom's Banquet? How do you react when someone here in this church with pastoral responsibility for you, like Pete or Rob, confronts you about something in your life? How do you take that? Do you get aggressive? Or do you accept the invitation to become wiser? How do you respond when God's word is applied to your life from the pulpit on a Sunday morning? And maybe says some things that are a bit uncomfortable. Do you grumble about it with those who love to gossip and those who love scandal? Or do you accept the invitation to become wiser? Friends, to reject honest rebuke is to reject wisdom's invitation and to accept the invitation to folly's table. So friends, we need to ask ourselves this morning, what sort of person are we? The second word, beginning with the letter R, is reverence in verse 10. And we read that well-known verse that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is in sight. You see, friends, the fear of the Lord is not like getting scared at a horror movie, like The Shining, but it means to personally hold the Lord in the highest honor above all other things in your life. If we want to be wise people, then it begins with having this reverential awe for God himself. And that can manifest itself in different ways. Do you eagerly soak up what you hear on a Sunday morning and welcome God's instruction into your life in that way? Do you revere God in that way? Or do you have a tendency to switch off for a while and miss out on the true biblical wisdom that is being offered to you? Do you prioritize disciplined Bible study in your week? Or has your Bible been sitting on the shelf and gathering dust for a while? 
if the choice came to attend the monthly prayer meeting here and revere God in that way, or to do literally anything else, which one would you choose? You see, friends, wisdom in all areas of life can only be received with a reverence for God. So, friends, let's ask the Lord to help make us wise. Ask Him to help us to fear Him, to hold Him in reverence above all other things in our lives. And then that final word, beginning with the letter R, is reward. In verse 11, we see Solomon promises his son, who is soon to be king, that his days will be multiplied and years will be added to his life. Now, just to be clear, this is not guaranteeing that we will all live for longer in the here and now if we just study the Bible. There is another wisdom book right after the book of Proverbs called Ecclesiastes. And in that book, the author says that bad things like premature death happen to wise people in the here and now all the time. But the word life, used here in chapter 9 and in the rest of Proverbs, does not merely refer to this life and the here and now. You see, the book of Proverbs isn't just another kind of self-help book, the kinds that you would get at Waterstones that helps you to make good decisions about the here and now. But Proverbs is primarily about making good decisions that help prepare us for the next life. Life in Proverbs is important because it refers to the life that is to come. So therefore, to live according to the Proverbs, according to genuine biblical wisdom, friends, it does have advantages for the here and now. But the best thing about it is that it helps us to live a life that helps prepare us for the life that is to come, for eternity. That is the reward that we can gain from genuine biblical wisdom. So friends, King Solomon is a very different king from our own King Charles III. King Solomon is a father who loves his son and wants only the best for him. And so he pleads with him in Proverbs 9 to live out a wise life. And God, who is our Father and loves each of us infinitely more, has preserved Proverbs 9 in our Bibles so that we too, as his children, can be pleaded with to live a wise life. Lady Wisdom has laid out a great banquet for the people of Edinburgh North Church, and we are all invited to attend. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we know that the foolish things of this world, the things that in your fatherly wisdom you would ask us not to go near, entice us and allure us and make false promises. Help us now to take what's been said today to heart and to be proactive in becoming the wiser people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.